Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from 1 Corinthians 11, 3-16. Listen for what God is saying to you today. Now I want you to know that the head of, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered shames his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered, with, with her head uncovered, disgraces her head. It is the same thing as having her head shaved. If a woman doesn't cover her head, then, they, then she should have her hair cut off. If, it is, a, if it, it is disgraceful for a woman to have short hair or to be shaved, then she should keep her head covered. A man shouldn't have his head, sorry, a man shouldn't have his head covered because he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is man's glory. Man didn't have his origin from woman, but woman from man. And man wasn't created for the sake of the woman, but the woman for the sake of the man. Because of this, a woman should have authority over her head because of the angels. However, woman isn't independent from man, and man isn't independent from woman in the Lord. As woman came from man, so also man comes from woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it appropriate for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does it nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. This is because her long hair is given to her for a covering. But if someone wants to argue about this, we don't have such a custom, nor do God's churches. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> we don't shy away from controversy here at UBC. Um, please join me in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together on this snowy morning, um, to be warmed uh, by the presence of your spirit, to be reminded that we do not walk alone in our journeys, but that we journey together and grow together and lean in and learn from one another. So we ask that as we lean into what your scripture has to say to us today, that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would clear away the things that clutter our uh, psyches and help us to see and hear you clearly um, as we uh, um, open ourselves to the work and word of your spirit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. My name is Emily McGinley, and I am the pastor here at Hyde Park Woodland, and um, I serve in ministry and leadership here alongside many folks that you see up front and many people who you don't see up front, but help us be who we are and do what we do. Um, so in 2002, this guy uh, named Daniel Kahneman uh, won the Nobel Prize in Economic Science. Maybe one or two of you have heard of him. What was interesting about Daniel Kahneman um, is that he's a psychologist, actually. He's not an economist. Um, human irrationality, why people make decisions about uh, the way that they do, um, as it turns out, is irrational. Um, that's his jam, right? He, and he unpacks this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. 
Usually, he says, people state an opinion or make a claim, and then they back up to give reasons for why they said what they did. And we like to think that we are rational people, right? But really, what we are are people who speak first from our emotions or our gut, and then we kind of circle back with justifications of why we said that we did what we did, right? So in a way, this is where we see uh, what we see our Apostle Paul doing um, in our passage for this morning. There's some kind of problem, and scholars aren't entirely sure why or where he got the idea that women in particular featured more prominently in this church problem, but he hones in on them like he's been waiting his whole life to do this, right? Was he having a dry spell on Tinder? We'll never know for sure. Paul loves talking about how God is all about flipping the power structures and the hierarchies, and it doesn't bother him, actually, that women exercise gifts of prophecy in the church. What bothers him is that they do it in a way that he thinks is unseemly for women. Something about them stirs up a gut reaction in Paul that has him just shutting them down. But then he has to explain why it's a problem, right? So what should he do? Some of us might say, you know what, my bad. I realize, I think I need to think a little more deeply about this. But, you know, Paul is a go big or go home kind of guy. So instead of setting down his shovel, he just keeps on digging, right? <laughs> what does he dig up? Well, the first thing is kyriarchy. Say it with me, kyriarchy. Kyriarchy is a term and a theme developed by the theologian Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza. Some have called her a radical feminist theologian, but I think she's actually just a theologian. Um, and it's sort of a, like a theological word for intersectionality. But it wasn't just, it isn't just a descriptor of the descriptor of the many and varied ways that oppression shows up. It's also about who is in power. Kyrios means Lord in Greek, and kyriarchy is a series of pyramid schemes of power. Who is Lord of whom, and in what space, and when? And it is a way of understanding society that is very familiar with these folks. So when Paul says in verse 3, now I want you to know that the head of every woman is the man, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God, what Paul is doing is using kyriarchy to throw the gospel under the bus. And I'm like, Paul... I thought you said there's no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female, yada, 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 right? What I think you meant to say is that Christ is the head of the people and the people are here to carry out God's vision of wholeness of life for all. In whatever way, we are so gifted and equipped. Now, was that so hard? <laughs> and so here, my friends, I invite you into the long-standing Jewish tradition of arguing with Scripture. Because as it turns out, Paul was just a man who, as faithfully as he could, brought his whole self to the project of spreading the life-giving, liberating, and love-infused gospel of Jesus Christ. And because he was a man and not God, he brought his own stuff to the project, right? <laughs> for better and worse. And in this moment, it is for worse because Paul's patriarchy is showing in the form of theological malpractice. And actually, I think Paul increasingly realizes this, but unwisely decides that the right next thing to do is to pick up that shovel again, right? So Paul tries to rescue himself through a cultural hook during that time of honor and shame. He goes into this whole thing about how women praying with their heads uncovered disgrace themselves and everyone else. And I could do a whole sermon about how honor and shame are deep and powerful cultural drivers in Paul's time. But I have a feeling that many of you get the way that shame can be a powerful force in your life. This is the point at which Paul moves from theological malpractice to abuse. 
Because shame has the power to move otherwise good people to do terrible things. In verse 6, Paul says, if a woman won't control herself, then it is our right, it is the right, the duty of the community to preserve our honor at all costs, even if it means that we subjugate her body and mutilate it. Paul says, if a woman doesn't cover her head, then she should have her hair cut off. We should tie her down and cut her hair off. In other words, because she disgraces us, we have the right to shave her head and humiliate her as publicly as possible. Deep breath. Maybe he feels like he's gone a little too far. So he tries another tactic that is sadly tried and true in our tradition, twisting scripture. And now, we all know that Paul knows better, right? He's a, he's a well-educated Jewish man. He goes back to our good old friend Genesis, and he willfully misuses scripture to support his point. He says, well, man didn't have his origin from woman, but woman from man. And man wasn't created for the sake of the woman, but woman for the sake of the man. And we all know he's talking about that second story in creation, Genesis 2. And we know that in that story, a woman was not created for the sake of man, but rather to be a helpmate a partner in the work that God created humans to do. Paul just cannot imagine a woman having all the rights and privileges that he or any other Jesus-loving man enjoys, right? Which is why he ties himself up in these word knots as he tries to clarify that, which only makes things more confusing. He goes on, however, uh, woman isn't independent from man, and man isn't independent from woman in the Lord. And as a woman came from man, so also a man comes from a woman, but, but everything comes from God. Right? That's kind of where he lands. And he's at the end of his, like, argumentative rope. So he goes in for one more Hail Mary, appealing to nature. Doesn't nature teach, teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's in her glory? It's her glory, right? Tell me, Paul, how does nature teach me that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Tell me, too, that if God didn't want men to have long hair, why it is capable of growing to such scandalous lengths. <laughs> Listen, just admit that it's your gut speaking and not the gospel. You don't like it when women perform their gender a way that you think, a way that you were taught they should perform it. And you don't like it if men show up with long hair because it gives you the heebie-jeebies, right? Like, it's okay if you don't like it. It's not okay to try to make out like God said it, okay? It's okay if you don't approve of a thing. Just be honest about where it comes from. Don't use God to justify and or scripture to justify it. Because when you act like it came from God's mouth, but it's really from yours, you create a world of hurt for others while completely missing out on new ways of understanding God and even ourselves. This morning, we have an opportunity to hear from a couple of folks who, in one way or another, are related to our community. Alora Chateau, a.k.a. Ben's uncle, a.k.a. Tony Algeyer, joins us today and will be leading us in some fun Bible story time after the service. And Emily Howie-Shell, a.k.a. Lady Godiva, as I learned, a.k.a. Elsa's fiancé, will also be joining me up here. So both are up here. They're going to come up here to help us understand a little bit more about the practice or the, the activity, the, the art of drag. So why don't we welcome them up?
we'll get our sound situation figured out here really quick. I think we'll move this mic here. Laura, if you could sit here in the middle. Yeah, if you could. I think we're just going to come fix this situation. Thank you, per usual. I'll sit here. Okay. So this will be on hot enough that both of you can just speak oh. regularly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I'll take this off. That's fine. Yeah. Just put it in between you and it will be So welcome. Thank you. Um, <coughs> flying in from Pittsburgh just to join us today, I, and we're uh, grateful for that. Yes, I brought the snow with me. Yeah, well, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it back. <clears throat> too, okay? uh, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about DRAG, and, and uh, you know, what is it? What is it doing? What purpose does it serve? Um, how does it function? And uh, I'll, I'll invite you to go first, um, Alora, oh, if you're ready. Okay. Um, so, wait, what was, sorry, what so, was the question? Tell me about drag. Like, what <laughs> um, is it? Uh, so what is drag? For, for each person, it's a little different. Um, but for the most part, um, it's dressing as the other gender a lot of times, or like what, um, what the norms of what a typical like male female gender roles so male dressing as uh, female or female dressing as male and then there's a slew of tons of different in-betweens basically yeah. and what like what is it doing <clears throat> like what what purpose does it serve like how does it function um <laughs> you can jump into Emily if you're ready to yeah I was just gonna say um just as a form of expression and art I think a lot of my friends including myself who do drag uh, got involved because we used to do theater in high school or we were like somehow doing something that was allowing us to express our creative side and then you get to this like really weird place after high school where like there's not as much for you to do I mean there is I mean there's plenty of stuff for us to do as non-high schoolers but it's not as easy to get involved in like theater if you're not going into theater professionally so like getting involved in drag allows us a space to express ourselves. So you you mentioned theater. Maybe this is this is sort of that on ramp to you. But like, how did you how did you get into drag? And, and kind of even more deeply, like, why do, what does it why does it matter for you? Yeah. So um, <laughs> I have a ton of friends who do drag, and uh, my really good friend who actually um, lives in Chicago now, and I met at his wedding, met Elsa. Um, so like, that's a really nice story. But for another time. Um, but. I, he started doing drag and I was going to the bar with him and I was like, oh, this looks like fun. I could do this. This isn't that hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that time, uh, there were a lot of drag queens around, but not as many kings. So I did at first when I started doing drag come out as a drag king um, and decided that just wasn't for me. I, I already grew up a tomboy, so like uh, grew up on the farm and uh, I'm the only girl in our family until my niece was born, and now she's the princess of the family. But, like, <laughs> I, I just wasn't satisfied being king. And um, don't let, like, anybody in drag fool you. It is hard to get into drag. Like, there is a lot. This, this actually looks like it took a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, and it's like, hard just getting up and down to sit. <laughs> like, getting into my brother's car today was hard enough. He saw me and just kind of fell back into it but but like for me being a king was just uh maybe even worse than not having anything because you literally have to bind yourself so um mm. for those of you who have met me I mean we shared a holy hug like I have a lot <laughs> to be bound um 
so it just wasn't a fun experience. So mm. then I found out about lipstick lesbians or femme drag, and I came out as Godiva de Goodness, and that's where I found my stage presence. Godiva de Goodness. That's beautiful. How about you, uh, Alora? Um, so either one doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, I grew up always kind of being scared of clowns. Look at me now. Um, so, so that was facing one your fears. Right? I know, yeah. right? Head on. Um, whenever I see like a scary movie, if I'm in drag or something, and it's on like at a bar or wherever, and then I go home and I'm like, oh god, like see my f- reflection in a mirror. It's terrifying, but I'm a good clown. Don't worry. Um, so, so whenever I started. Um, because I was kind of in, in high school and like grade school, I was always very creative, very quiet to myself, but I loved like building things. And um, I went to college for interior design, so I always was very into design and color and building things and painting things and um, sculpture. So for me, drag just kind of is all of that. Um, using some of like different assets that I have and lack thereof. So I had to build stuff and painting. So I, I'm one who always kind of changes a lot in drag. Um, I do a lot with, uh, they call gender F, bad word, um, which is basically like combining like very feminine and masculine things. So it's kind of this mixture of a creature. So I do a lot of that, um, especially when I want to be bearded in real life or have a mustache, Mm -hmm. but I still do things that are very feminine. So I confuse a lot of people several times. Um, If this isn't confusing enough, just add like a handlebar mustache that is mine. (laughs) That confuses people or just having a hairy chest, but like a really pretty face, it confuses people. So, um, and I get a lot of questions as to why, like why I would do that. Um, as opposed to this, although people quite ask me, why do I do this too? <laughs> um, and for me, it is, it is a performance. It, um, for for performance-wise, it's kind of my version of a church as well hmm. um, because it brings so many. I, uh, all the places that I work and um, do drag, it's always as inclusive as possible, um, and I try and make that environment as inclusive as possible. Um, so anyone and everyone is welcome, though it does cater a lot more to um, the LGBTQIA XYZ group of people. So it's it's really everyone and anyone who just feels different and weird and all that sort of stuff. So um, and I've had people who confide things into me, and and it's like confiding into a clown again, which is interesting to me. But I love that too. So well, there's something about about your presentation then that invites, that communicates like I can hold things that maybe other people might not be willing to tolerate or able to tolerate um, kind of either emotionally or informationally type of thing. Um, So you kind of mentioned this piece about like gender effing or maybe gender bending um, (laughs) perhaps um, might be a better way to put So how then like were you taught or embodied uh, taught to embody your gender, right? Like, um, how does drag and and how does drag help you express yourself in ways that you couldn't in your sort of uh, more civilian kind of mode, right? Um, so, I when I was a little kid, I always say when I was a little girl. Uh, when I was uh, a little kid growing up, like I always was a little bit more feminine in ways, um, but grew up more in the country. Um, But I always felt comfortable with myself. I was always happy and just who I was, um, which wasn't all that eccentric. And so 
um, doing, and I always loved playing dress up. I always loved just being as creative as possible. And now it's kind of all of that combined um, and giving myself the ability to be a little bit more eccentric um, and to be comfortable while being horribly uncomfortable, basically, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So, so. what like, what was it that, um, that you felt like you couldn't be fully um, comfortable uh, in the way that you were? So out of drag, I'm very short. Uh, I'm like 5'5", five five, and um, a lot of times, and I'm very quiet. Um, and so a lot of times I'll be in front of someone who's like a foot taller than me, and they're like, where'd, where'd Tony go? I'm like, I'm literally right here, I'm by you. <laughs> but um, so drag is just kind of being, looking bigger, um, and then it encourages my own personality to just be bigger. And it's taught me a lot. Um, I've been doing drag for about, coming up I think on seven years. Um, so within that seven year time frame, it's just taught me to be more comfortable with who I am in and out of drag and just being um, more confident and just being able to talk easier and being louder and bigger, even though I'm not, so. Mm. So it kind of gives you permission to... It does. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, anything you want to add for yourself? Um, it's funny because I have kind of the same experience, mm -hmm. but um, being like a tomboy, being like I'm not a quiet person in general to be around, but um, was always told by my grandmother, especially like, you need to quiet down. <laughs> like the adults are speaking, or like, it's just not your turn, or whatever, you know. It's like literally what I said to Stella yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not here for a parenting class, I'm not qualified for that. But, I, you know, just coming from a place of growing up in the South as a woman, being kind of told like, this is your place, and you know, being loud and obnoxious was seen as loud and obnoxious, and not just a character trait that you could have, and not be like, anything other than just who you were. So like being on the stage gave me a space to be loud. Like I got to actually be myself, but not be told like, hey, you need to quiet down a little bit. We're trying to have an adult conversation. It's really fun. It's interesting. Before I started to do drag, there were two things that I heard. Um, someone, someone told me once that, um, or I think I saw in like a YouTube video or something, I don't even know, um, that gender is not always it's not a physical body part, it's more of a, a state of mind. Like your body doesn't have to define what you present to the world. And on that as well, um, the lovely RuPaul always said, um, you're born naked and the rest is drag, which is very, very true. No matter how you present yourself to the world mm -hmm. is how you adorn like your body and everything. That's how you showcase yourself. So currently I'm showcasing myself as like, a feminine cartoonishness, um, but a lot of times I'm more like a boy, I guess. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just that we've sort of identified that there are certain kinds of drag that are more right. acceptable than others, right? right? So the corporate work suit is corporate drag, yes. right? Um, the school uniform is a school drag, you know, like, <laughs> so kind of, that's an interesting way to kind of think about it um, as a, as we kind of Think about it, right? Um, <laughs> so a couple of quick other questions. Um, are there any places or ways that you have found maybe spiritual insight, meaning, or comfort um, in drag? And you kind of mentioned already, like, sort of in, in some spaces, drag performance spaces feel like church for you. Um, and there's, like, kind of even kind of a quasi-confessional aspect that right. <laughs> you yeah. find yourself 
um, in. Are there any other insights that you would have, um, either one of you? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that um, a lot of times drag for me is a thin place, which is just like a place where I feel closest to God. If you've never been to like a gospel drag brunch and you know, I grew up in that sounds community. like so many things all yeah. at once. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> But I grew up in a community where you like I was taught that gay people and like being in a relationship with God was completely incom like not compatible, can't ever fit together. But to be at gospel drag brunch and like literally all the gays are singing gospel <laughs> songs and like really worshiping, that's hmm. a very like thin, close to God space for me. But also just. The family that's created through drag, you get to know people, um, and you really live life together with pe people, which is what church is, but it's just under a different name called drag, and and you suffer with people through diagnosis of HIV. Um, I've had a lot of friends who have, who have gotten that diagnosis who are surviving, but some who weren't so lucky, who haven't made it, and to come together with those people and to just remember our friends who performed and who lived glorious lives. And um, I have several close connections. Um, when the shooting at Pulse happened, that was just a very like um, God-filled moment, the way that the community kind of came together through that, no matter where we had kind of found ourselves spread out because drag queens are always on the move. That's something you have to know about us. And so like, no matter how far we get spread out, um, unfortunately, there are times like um, through death that we come back together, but we come back together in such a way that you would literally think we are the church because we are. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add? Or? Um, I always say that my first drag performance was being an altar boy um, <laughs> because I basically wore a dress that was belted at the waist and I was told where to go and where to stand and it was <laughs> perfect. So, And you were on like a slight platform, so I was all about it. Um, so, so your earliest days of drag my were in the church. Days, yeah, yeah we're the church. Um, so, uh, and thankfully, I mean, most of my religious experiences growing up, they were more anti-differences um, a lot of times. Uh, so, um, and it, it took me a while to figure out exactly who I was and um, what community I really wanted to be a part of and all that sort of stuff. But um, uh, through it all, thankfully, I just had a lot of really good support and um, uh, was always just a very happy person for the most part, which was Amen. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I was, because, yeah. Um, any last things that you want to sort of share in terms of what you wish people understood about drag that you don't think that they do, any, either one of you? Or if you felt like you've already shared those things, that's fine. Uh, I just wanted to say, like, just because someone does drag, like, so I do drag where I dress as a woman, wear big hair and fancy clothes. But um, in situations where women are dressing as men or men as women, um, like just because you do that doesn't mean that you want to be trans. Like it doesn't mean that you want to become a woman or you want to become a man. It's just an expression. Like it's just dress up in some ways. So um, just like being aware of that. And I mean, there are plenty of people who are transitioning, who get to express themselves through doing drag until they transition. And I am friends with plenty of those people, but they're not all to be lumped together. Thank you so much for sharing about your experiences and helping us to kind of have a better sense and understanding of how, um, how drag can, can help us 
think dif differently or more broadly about um, one another and, and what it means to show up in the world. Um, so God's imagination is vastly more expansive than our own, right? <laughs> and often what holds us back, I think, from really embracing that imagination and living into it are our own internalized limitations, right? Limitations that we've absorbed in all the ways that hierarchy shows up. We can't help the world that we've grown up in, right? But we can help the ways that we live out our commitment to God's message of wholeness of life for all. We can help the ways that we catch and check our gut reactions, questioning, why is this thing coming up for me, right? Where is this rooted? And we can help the ways that we create space for others to experience belonging as their whole selves. There's a, there are whole swaths of people who do not feel like there is a place for them in God's community, and so they find these other marginalized spaces, and it works for them, but that is a shame to our message of God's wholeness of life um, for all. Paul was amazing, uh, the Apostle Paul was amazing and courageous and groundbreaking in lots of ways, and yet he was also a human who tripped up on his own biases, assumptions, and preferences. And just two chapters later in this same book, Paul admits, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. We see in a mirror dimly. It is really tempting to want to drag Paul across, pun intended, um, across the entire Gentile world for his mistakes, right? But the truth is that we sometimes get it wrong too. And this doesn't have to stop us from sharing God's love as best as we can. It just means that we have to do it with humility and with a posture to lean in and learn from one another. We don't always have to agree, but we must listen to understand more deeply. And in our listening, and as our faith seeks understanding, God will meet us there. God will meet us there. God will show us new possibilities for who God is, for how God can show up in the world, and how we might live as God's people in the world. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is that we can continue to learn from you from what it is that you want to show us about who you are in the world. And help us to not be people of fear. Help us to recognize the ways that um, we have internalized limitations that are not of you. And help us to have discernment so that we might be able to go out and build relationships to learn and engage one another in new ways, knowing that when we do so, we learn and engage with you in new ways. We thank you for Alora and for Emily and the ways that they have found um, opportunities to express their fullest selves with fun and with joy um, and with a, a deep sense of um, pride and commitment to who it is that you have created them to be. We pray this all with gratitude, um, with trust, knowing that you, you take our whole selves and you hold and love our whole selves, even if we don't do the same for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>